0: I wanna take a moment and just say thank you. Uh, I was able to take the time off, not only because of a great team who believes in me, but a staff who can cover the bases, and not only cover the bases and maintain, but excel forward with weeks of hope reaching hundreds of people in our community, uh, services, preaching. Didn't our team just do a great job over the last few weeks? Would you just honor them for me? So thankful for them but I'm back. I haven't preached in six weeks, so I hope you brought a lunch. No, I'm kidding. I'm going I'm to get done maybe on time. I've titled this message, C, C, and I want to jump right in. In 1927, uh, the church was just being birthed in Lufkin, Texas. A young man had a dream to start a church like this, and developed a group in his living room. A few months later, they had a tent out downtown and started services. Later, they would buy a little piece of property, and in 1928, the lights would turn on for this church. 95 years later, we were were Timber Creek Church now celebrating what God has done for 95 years. Simultaneously, though, and coincidentally, across the nation, there was a man by the name of Morris Frank, not related to Morris Frank Park here in Lufkin, but Morris Frank in Tennessee. And Morris was dealing with a disability. Morris was born blind. Morris did not understand all the things that he could see. He was limited by his ability to See, I can relate somewhat to Morris being born In uh, born in 1979, completely 100% blind in my left eye. Uh, My optic nerve didn't fully develop in the womb, uh, and that optic nerve that flows over your pituitary gland, it kind of it fizzled out my pituitary gland and cut out that that optic nerve. And so when I was born, I was born with a growth hormone deficiency and a blind eye. That growing up, uh, up until about fifth grade, was kind of cross-eyed, and my growth hormone deficiency. Super, super small, three foot eight in sixth grade, seventy-two pounds, lady killer, and uh, cross-eyed. It was awesome, and uh, I'd be like, "Hey, you know, talking to the girls, and like, are you talking to me? Are you, are you looking at?" It worked out though, and and uh, still, still uh, had my eye on the prize, uh, and uh, finally found the woman of my dreams, and. Uh, that didn't work out, so Mary Janet, and then, uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, and uh, I got to get back to the story. Morris Frank, okay? Morris Frank, completely blind. In the meantime, across the world in Switzerland, there was a woman by the name of Dorothy Eustace who was training German shepherds for the police force. Morris Frank had read about her ability to train these dogs to go in and sniff out with their senses, see what the police couldn't see, smell what the police couldn't smell, hear what the police couldn't hear. And she was training these German shepherds to be a help to the senses of the police force. Morris wrote a letter to Dorothy saying, I think we could do this for a huge portion of our community. I think we could create seeing dogs. Well, Dorothy took his letter and considered it and met Morris Frank and later trained the first seen eye dog, Buddy. Morris and Buddy became close partners. And a year and a half later, Morris and Buddy flew to New York City. They did not do this uh, demonstration in a small field in a rural community, but there in Times Square in New York City, they demonstrated the power of the seeing eye dog as Buddy guided Morris, with no help from anybody else, guided Morris through the very busy streets of downtown New York City. A few months later, people realized the obvious need and the company, Seeing Eye Company, was birthed. Now, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, 90 plus years later, of Seeing Eye dogs have been trained to help the blind community. The mission of the Seeing Eye Company was simple. Here was their mission, here's why they existed. To make the entire world accessible to people who are blind. To make the entire world accessible To people who their world was very limited. The same is true today. Sight is a great asset. But sight is also one of our greatest needs. You see, not only the ability to see physically, but there is a reality of spiritual blindness that plagues all of us. A blindness in men and women of all ages, young and old. Seasoned and inexperienced. A blindness to see the whole world that God has prepared for them. A unique design on their life to know God personally and to find and experience freedom from anything holding them back. To discover that God-sized design in them and then to make a difference in their world. that, That big world, Jesus wants to make accessible to everybody. Unfortunately, we live in a world, we live in a culture that not everybody has seen what God wants them to see. Some of you have kiddos that aren't seeing what you want them to see, let alone what God wants to see. Sight is such a big deal. We we say things like this, oh, why didn't I see that? Or I just didn't see it coming or we try to explain ourselves and say don't you see what i'm trying to say there's a reality of a struggle of sight that we deal with this is no new struggle this is not just for us that have evolved in the 21st century no the apostle paul was dealing with those realities in the new testament years after christ had died and resurrected paul wrote in second corinthians he says the god of this age the enemy the satan He's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel, the good news that displays the glory of Christ. That's how people, that can hear about Jesus day in or day out, or they can hear Jesus all throughout their life. They have a praying grandma or a praying mom or praying dad, but yet they just, they finally at some point, they say, oh, the light finally whoosh, turns on. Why? Because for a long time, they just had been blind to the good news of a good God because their their other eyes have just been searching for something that would make them whole, and those things just won't ever satisfy. But it didn't just start with us. It didn't start with Paul. You back up to even Jesus says, you're the salt of of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're supposed to help people see, and you back up even into the Old Testament, into The book called 1 Samuel chapter 9, we read this line. Here's what 1 Samuel says. Now, formerly in Israel, it was a nation, an important nation now, an important nation then. If someone went to inquire of God, they would say, now pause, if you want to go inquire of God today, here's what you would do. You would say, hey, God, You you don't have to do what the Israelites did. There was a process they went through, but that process shifted when Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived the sinless life, died the perfect death for you in your place. He broke the veil in between the Holy of Holies and us, and now we have unfettered access into God. We can go to him anytime, right this moment, no matter what I've done, no matter what you've done, no matter what i got, no matter what you got, no matter what I'm dealing with right now, no matter what you're dealing with right now, I mean, even though I got some stuff. Yeah, even though you got some stuff, God is interested in you. He sees you way before you could ever see him. But back in the day, there was a process. When they needed to inquire of God, they would simply say, come, let us go to the seer. Come, let us go to the seer. Because the prophet in that day used to be called a seer. We don't live in that day anymore. God is calling us to see what he sees and to be seers into a world that is blind. Let's have a prayer together. Father, the next few moments we have now, will you situate our priorities? Will you situate our senses to lean into you? Our ears open to hear, our minds open to learn, our hearts open to receive our hands and feet open to serve, our eyes open to see, everything you wanna show to us and everything you're calling us to become. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes today, I just wanna give you five symptoms of a seer. Five symptoms of a seer. These are not relegated to the pastor. These are not relegated to a pastoral staff. These aren't relegated to just that real spiritual grandma. You are called to be a seer. And in 1 Samuel 9, this statement about going to see the seer, it's packed into this real interesting story of major importance this is the story where the curtain opens up on the broadway show learning about a new character that gets going to step on to the stage of human history a critical player in the nation of Israel the very first king of Israel to be anointed his name is Saul this is the story of Saul stepping on to the stage and here's how that story goes. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Kish was awesome. He was a man of standing. He was popular in the city. It may be because Kish would always be wearing a a white mask and black eyes and always sticking his tongue out, partied with a guitar. No, that's a different Kish. That's That's a different Kish. Moving on. Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be. Wouldn't it be great if you were in the Bible and that's what it was, I mean, that's what they said. Like, you got a lot of people. I mean, uh, th- there's, there's a woman I read about in the, in, the, in, in the book of Numbers while I was on, on break. Her name was Hogla. Thanks a, thanks a lot, mom and dad, <laughs> you know. Thanks a lot, Hogla. Anyway, moving on, that's how she's known in scripture. Saul is known as handsome. As man, handsome a man as he can be. I mean, slow motion, Fabio hair, just mm, mm, mm. like just. It's just that was me trying to flex my pecs, but it wasn't. It was just me moving my shoulders more than anything. He was a head taller than anyone else. I, that ticks me off too. Like, you know, who cares? Okay. So, so, all right, anyway. Now, this was interesting, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, they were lost, they had lost some donkeys. And Kish said to his son, Saul, you know what you need to do? I need you to take one of the servants with you, don't go alone, and I want you to go look for the donkeys. This is an assignment of seeing. This is an assignment for looking. This is an assignment to see what's most important and to track down something of prominence. See, donkeys weren't just like some kind of utility thing. Donkeys were huge for what they were trying to produce in their fields. Donkeys were a commodity. They were a high-priced item. They were like losing a, a flock of Lamborghinis. Like this was a big deal. Donkeys were expensive. So Saul and the servant, by the way, if you ever wanna go see some things and wanna look for some stuff, don't go alone. There's only so much that you can see, I promise you. When, when you have people trying to speak into your life that see things that you can't see, you need to pay attention. You can't see everything for yourself. Your, your sight even into yourself is limited. It's powerful to not have anybody speak into your life and anybody see in your life. Like They gotta have some trust built up, but the people that you usually can trust If they're seeing something that you're not seeing, pay attention, pay attention. So he's partnered with somebody to see what maybe he couldn't see. And they go on this journey looking for some donkeys. Anybody ever been on a journey looking for some donkeys? Okay. They go through the hill country of Ephraim. They go through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They keep going. They go into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. I mean, then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. It's like the Indiana Jones movie where the red line is going across the ocean and then over here to Cairo and over here. I mean, they are everywhere and there ain't no donkeys. <sighs> when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who is with him, whoa, and they stop and he says, hey, Keith, Because that was his servant's, I don't know if that's a servant's name, but we'll just call him Keith today. Keith, come on, let's go back. Let's go back, or my father's gonna stop thinking about the donkeys, and he's gonna start worrying about us. Dad's not gonna be worried about the donkey. He's probably worried about us now. What is Saul really saying? What is Saul really saying? He's really saying, I'm worried about me. I'm sick and tired of doing this. This is dumb. I'm I'm chasing a bunch of donkeys we're never gonna find. Somebody took them, somebody branded them. I mean, that's just, it is what it is, let's go back. But I love the insight, not just the eyesight, of the servant. Servant replied, look, again, there's this underlying reality of seeing something in this passage. Look, in this town, there's a man of God. And he's highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now, and perhaps he'll tell us what the what way to take. Now, if it's me, I'd be Saul. I'd be saying, "Why didn't you tell me this in the first place? Why we go? Why didn't we just go to the man of God to begin with?" But isn't that the story of many of us? We go the route of this idea and that idea and our own understanding and our own desires and our own chasing donkeys and our own chasing liberty and chasing the pursuit of happiness and chasing the spout and chasing the the, the comfort and chasing the stuff. Anybody ever chased some stuff? And had we just gone to Jesus first, we would find so many answers, so much fulfillment to the things we've been chasing down, trying to find, Happiness. Saul responds to the servant, not with a, you're so smart, Keith. Instead, Saul says, if we go, if we go, because I don't know, jury's out. If we go, what can we even give the man? I mean, the food in our sacks is gone. We got no gifts to take to the man of God. I mean, what do we even have? What do we even have? Five symptoms of a seer, number one. Anyone can be a problem seer. Anybody ever had a problem seer in their life that just can see problems? They have just this gift of pointing out issues in you. (laughs) I mean, I mean, they 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 notice that tiny little inconspicuous speck in your eye. (sighs) Hey, you got a little you just got a little something there. You got a little something. And they got a microphone hanging out of there. They got a sequoia tree hanging out their eyeball. Anyone can be a problem seer. Anyone can spout criticism. Anyone can see what can't happen. But if you want to be a seer, seers are problem solvers. You want to be a seer for your family. You want to be a seer in your marriage. Anybody can see the problems in marriage. We all got them but it's the kind of people that can see through that mess to what God will do and what God can do and what is beyond right now the detour in your life. Seers are problem solvers. Solutions are hard to see when it's all about me. See, Saul is trying to veil, he's trying to put a veil over his, uh, his selfishness. My dad is gonna be really worried My dad's going to be worried. We ought to go back because, you know, I just want to care about my dad. He doesn't care about his dad being worried. He cares about him being tired. When it's all about us, oh, my wife makes me so frustrated. I do this. I solutions very, very rarely come to those who it's all about you. We have to look beyond ourselves. Even if they're great, we can see. That excuses solve no problems. We don't got a lot of food. Keith says, so we don't got any money. He says, so we can still do this. And no matter what you've been facing, no matter what you've been dealing, no matter if you feel like what you have to bring to God is an empty pocket. All you have in your pocket may not be even be empty. It may be full of regrets. It may be full of past. It may be full of hurts. It may be full of struggles. It may be full of addictions. It doesn't matter what you have to bring to the feet of Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Just let him see beyond what you have to what he can take away and what he can give and what he can show you and what he can do and who you can become. Because even if they're great, excuses in your life will solve no problems. I would come to church, but I'm so busy. You think that people that sitting next to you got nothing else to do on Sunday? You think all of us are just like, well, oh, I guess I'll just go to church on Sunday. <laughs> I'm too busy. No, I can't afford to tithe. No, I can't afford to. I just don't have time to serve. You, you, you think that the only people that serve here are people that are looking for something to do. They're high powered, crazy, effective, and super busy leaders serving every week. Why? Because they have seen what God wants them to see and they have experienced what God blesses when they put others first and his kingdom first. There's just something powerful when we serve. Solutions usually appear after long obedience in the same direction. If you're looking for a solution to a problem, sometimes it's gonna be going through the territory of Shalisha. And maybe Shalisha is that sister that you need to talk to, right? Maybe you gotta go through the territory of Benjamin because Benjamin did you wrong and the solving of the problem is reconciliation with Benjamin. Whatever territory you're going through, be obedient in the same direction for a while. And it's just kind of how God begins to un. Ravel and show himself to us. Learn that patience. The servant said, look, I got a quarter of a shekel of silver. Okay. I don't got much. I'll give it to the man of God. He'll tell us what way to take. I mean, a quarter of a shekel of silver is in today's day and age, $6.33. That's all we got. Six bucks, 33. Won't even buy a number one at Chick-fil-A. The servant isn't gonna take the excuses. The servant says, "No, no, 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 no." He goes back into the Datsun pickup that they've been traveling in. He's looking under the cushion inside. He finds a couple of crumpled up dollars. He finds a few quarters, and, and then he finds some change in the very bottom. And you know that change? It's got like the Coke syrup on it. It's all they, all the coins are stuck together. So he's like, just getting this, just getting the syrup off, you know. Finally, they, 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 they un they unstick from each other. He says, I got $6.33, that's enough, come on, let's go. Excuses solve no problems. Seers are problem solvers. The next symptom of a seer, anyone can pursue a life of autonomy. Anybody can pursue the life of self-centeredness. I'm in control. I don't need anybody else. That takes nothing. That is even innate in the human fallenness of who we are. Because even as children who can't do it by ourselves already learn this innate autonomy of I can do it myself. And ever since being children, we have to fight the instinctive of our sin nature to want to do life ourselves, answers ourselves, uh, um, uh, problems ourselves. Anyone can live a life of autonomy. But but here's what a seer does. And what we see in the story that unpacks is seers pursue a life of integrity. And the only way we truly know if we're living a life of integrity is you don't do that in, in autonomy. You do that in community. Because it's not you who says you're living a life of integrity. It's the people around you that say they're living a life of integrity. See, the servant said, in this town, there's a man of God. He is highly respected. You can't become highly respected without living in integrity. Mm, Let's pause. You can become highly respected without living in integrity. But at some point, that shell will crack. Highly respected uh, means that, that you, you are whole, like integrity means like an integer, a number that is complete in and of itself. It's whole. Now here's the crazy irony. Here's the irony of this whole thing. A blind world can still easily see a fake. A blind world who is blind and unbelieving can really spot a fake really, really fast. So what do we have to be if we wanna be real seers that people will go to and say, will you, will you show me who Jesus is? If we wanna be a seer for our kids and seer for our spouses and seers for, for us, Jesus in us, then integrity is you being you all the way down. You've got to see that integrity, that wholeness all the way down. And it's not just you, it's Jesus in you that makes you whole. So in this town, he says, there's a man of God. He's highly respected. So Saul says, whew, Good. Let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. And here's where we come to that scripture we read early, formerly in Israel. If someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come let us go to the seer because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. So that's what Saul and the servant are going to. They're going to see the seer, Samuel. They went up to the town and as they were entering there, There was Samuel coming toward them. How ironic, how divine. He's coming toward them on his way up to the high place. He's gonna go meet some people at a dinner. He's gonna sacrifice. They're gonna worship God, and they're gonna have a meal and community together. So Saul and his servant are looking for Samuel. Samuel's on his way to go pray and sacrifice, and it just so happens that their paths cross. Now, pause the story rewind the story a little bit and we see a drone shot. We rewind a day and we go not from Saul and the servant on this journey, but we go over to Samuel's house. Samuel's hanging out at his house and God begins to talk to Samuel. And this is what happened. The day before Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. God says to Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. Okay, what? The dude that's tired of looking for donkeys is the guy that's gonna govern the people? The guy that is making excuses. Because he doesn't even want to track down donkey. He's going to have to be the guy that's going to lead them into battle, going to lead them into territory, going to lead them against the major opposition of the Philistines over the next 30 years. This is the dude? But Samuel listened, had his eyes open because he was sensitive to what God wanted to show him and speak to him. The story goes on. When Samuel caught sight of Saul... The Lord said to him, that's him, that's the dude, that's the guy I spoke to you about, he will govern my people. So Samuel is very aware that Saul is the guy. See, Israel was supposed to be just trusting God. Instead, they demanded, they wanted to look like everybody else. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted a king. And God said, I'll be your king. Let me be your king. Let me be your guide. Let me be your source of stability and support and significance. But they said, no, God, we'd rather have a king we can see. And they could see now their future king, but they were still so completely blind. It's one thing to have eyesight. If you think this message is about eyesight, you've missed it. This message is about insight. It's not about having eyesight to see out here. It's about having insight to see what God wants to see in you and through you and beyond you. So Samuel catches eyes, Saul catches eyes, and Saul approaches Samuel and says, hey, would you tell me where the seer's house is? And I love the confidence in Samuel's response. He says, I'm the seer. You're the seer? I'm the seer. He says, hey, go up ahead of me to the high place. Today, you're gonna eat with me. He doesn't say, I'm the seer. I know where your donkeys are. Go three miles, turn left. They're there in the field, just, you know, hee hawn Because Samuel sees what God sees in Saul and is gonna move him beyond the appointment and the responsibility and the mission he thinks he's on to the mission he's supposed to be on. Every one of us have a lower story mission that we're on right now. God always has a higher story mission for us to be on. It's always a higher mission, his kingdom versus our kingdom. He says, hey, you go on up there, and we're going to eat together. And then he says something so powerful. I hope you see this. In the morning, I'm going to send you on your way. I'm also going to tell you all that's in your heart. See, we are really good with telling people what's on our heart. I need to get something off my chest. I just, I just want you to hear my heart. We wanna share what's in us. We wanna be able to say everything that's in us, but we need people that will see into us and say things to us that they see that you cannot see because there are areas in your life There are areas you can't see around. There are bins in the road that other people with a different perspective can see that you cannot see, write it down. Anyone can call out and criticize the spots in others. We're good at that, I wanna share my heart and I also can criticize the spots in you. Criticism, it is sneaky, it is snaky and it is a national pastime. Major League Baseball, apple pie and criticism. People just getting degrees in criticism these days. I mean, black belt in criticism. Am I right or am I right? And it's spots, all kinds of spots. Guess what? You got spots. I got spots. We all got spots. And you know what they are? They're blind spots. I can't see them. Maybe you can see them. I can't. They're dumb spots. I'm dumb in that area. I I don't know. I don't, don't got all the information. You got information I don't got. It's a dumb spot. Okay, give me a break. It's a deaf spot. You hear it. I don't hear it. You can hear that? I don't hear that. Do you hear what I hear? I, I, I don't hear it. You hear that? Yeah, hear, you can't hear that? Yeah, there's deaf spots in me. There's also hot spots. There's hot spots that just like drive me crazy like a dog, just, ah, Just, I got hot spots. And you can criticize those things. Nobody, nobody, like we grow up being able, it's a gift that is innate in our human nature. But seers, they call out and carve out dormant potential in others. See, Saul could not see in himself what Samuel could see because God saw it. There are things in your children that you don't yet see, but God is calling you to be a seer of your children. Yes, you can tell them all the things they need to do better on the ball field. You can tell them all the things they didn't do. You can have high demands. And hey, look, you know what? You ought to stretch their capacity. But you ought to be the first one also to speak to their potential, to speak to the promise, to speak to the dormant, untapped goodness of God in them that's gotta be cultivated. It's gotta be called out. Somebody had to call out greatness in me because I grew up feeling small I grew up feeling insignificant. I still can lean into those things. I need some people in my life to say, God's got this. You can do this. You are the, like, like I need people that will speak into my life promises of God and the goodness of God. And if you don't have that, that's what this church wants to be in you, wants to be the voice of God and lets you experience Jesus for yourself that he can call out and carve out. You know, carving out may not be fun either though. Sometimes to carve out the potential, there's some sweat and there's some blood and there's some tears and there's some sacrifice. Carving out doesn't mean it's a slow motion run like Julie Andrews through a sunflower field in Amsterdam or wherever they were. It's a process and it's pressure. It's coal that becomes diamonds because of the pressure of life. But there's something in you that needs to be called out and carved out. Seers do that. And people. I'm going to send you on your way. I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. Listen, if you fast forward the rest of life, Saul, uh, uh, the rest of Saul's life, this is going to be the paramount problem. This is going to be the paramount problem that Saul can't see what God wants him to see. Because look at what Samuel says. I'm gonna tell you all that's in your heart. As for the donkeys you're chasing, don't even worry about it. Uh, You lost them three days ago. Uh, They've been found, okay? Like, oh, would have been nice to know a few days ago. You can see they've been on a journey for three days, uh, 72 hours, don't do math in public. (laughs) They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned if not to you and your whole family? What does that even mean? What, Saul's, what Samuel's saying to Saul, by the way, who cares about these donkeys? The whole nation of Israel is gonna look at you. The whole nation of Israel is turning their eyes on you. They're gonna bless you, they're gonna honor you. You're getting ready to be in a place of prominence. But how does Saul respond? Saul answers, oh, I'm just a Benjamite from the smallest tribe. Is not my clan the least? of all the clans of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? And I can say to you that there's untapped, dormant potential waiting to germinate in your life and you're like, yeah, that's good for them, but not for me, not for me. Because you don't see yet what God sees in you. You have let someone else define your reality with their words instead of God's word. Number four. Everyone struggles with pride or insecurity or both, and usually they are deeply connected. If you see someone who is very arrogant and proud, I promise you, that's not because of all their confidence. Nine times out of 10, it is because of an underlying issue, a sickness of insecurity, that they are masking with the pride. They're covering so nobody will see because I've got to be stronger and taller and smarter and you won't question me if you question. And, And that pride is actually hiding a trauma or an insecurity in their life. That's what anyone can do. Anyone can deal with, everyone deals with pride and insecurity. I have dealt with insecurity. I still deal with insecurity and I have to let that be sacrificed so that I can see what God sees in me Otherwise, very quickly, I become the cross-eyed kid in third grade who was shorter than everybody else who was getting picked last on the ball field. And I'm 42, and I'm kicking the dirt, waiting for somebody to pick me if I let the enemy come back in and try to talk me out of who God says I am. Seers maintain a humble confidence in their God-given identity. Not in your identity that you see in the mirror, but the God-given identity that Jesus has created for you. Samuel said to him, brought Saul and his servant into the hall. He seated them at the head of the table. Seated him at the head of the table. Can you imagine this? They've been looking for donkeys. Now they come up to a room full of people, strong leaders, and and they're there, and they they come seat at the head of the table. There they are. And oh my goodness, what, what a deal. He's gonna get, and in fact, Samuel says, I'm not gonna read it for you, but Samuel says, hey, bring in the filet mignon, like the steak that I set aside. And they bring in like the big slab. I mean, everybody else is eating like, you know, sirloin. And he's got the filet bacon wrapped in everything. Samuel brought Saul closer to show him what he had seen. And he didn't just tell him with words. He guided him and he placed him in those places. He released that ownership he, he, he showed, he, he demonstrated what God was showing by placing the choice meet, by placing him in the right spot. He showed him what he needed to see because we knew that Saul, he's gonna struggle with this for the rest of his life, so he had to actually guide him into seeing. He had to show him with his actions what God saw in him. Samuel brought him closer. But today, for you and me, In this culture, Jesus is inviting me closer for the very same reason. Jesus sees more than you can see today. And he has set you at the table today at Timber Creek or online or there in our prisons or there in Nacogdoches to show you something. This is Jesus' business. This is what he's great at. Nobody's better than Jesus at seeing what you can't see. Anyone can see a almost bankrupt fisherman that's fished all night and has got nothing to prove for all his work. Jesus sees a guy named Simon, but he's gonna call him Peter because he sees that he can be a rock. And he's gonna see something beyond a fisherman. He says, let's go catch people together. And that same Peter who couldn't even face a little teenage girl at Jesus's uh, court ruling, a few days later, empowered by that spirit, spirit of the living God, Peter stands up and 3,000 people begin to follow Jesus because Jesus could see what nobody else could see. Jesus sees someone who can be with him in paradise where everyone else was just seeing a common criminal. Everyone else saw the issue that nobody had any food and there's thousands of us and there's nothing to eat. And Jesus sees a lunchbox and a little boy who can sacrifice and he sees a miracle and provision Jesus sees you and your pain and your problem and the circumstances and he sees beyond that from who you are to who you can become. Don't settle. Don't settle for just a donkey assignment. Just chasing donkeys. Jesus wants to show you more. That's why twice a year, we do something along with thousands of other churches across the nation that is 21 days of prayer. Starting tomorrow at 6 a.m., not only online, but right here at the broadcast location and at Nacogdoches at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., a very scheduled time of worship. There'll be a devotional. There'll be a few minutes where you can sit quietly and Uh, Meditate, or you can pray, or you can read, whatever. There's uh, resources that you can read through. It's not just twiddling your thumbs, unless that's what you wanna do. You can step outside for a few minutes, and you can walk the parking lot if you wanna do that, like whatever, but then we end with a little bit of corporate worship and a prayer, and then we dismiss you to go on your day right at seven o'clock. For the assignment that God has for this church in the near future, for what's about to happen, and lots of things are about to happen from multiplying leaders to multiplying locations. God is working behind the scenes to put some things together that I can't wait, I can't talk to you about it right yet, but God is on the move, everybody. And the multiplication of leaders, the multiplication of locations, there's something about ready to happen here. We cannot do it without men and women of God being seers and praying to see what God wants us to see. So I hope in this next season of 21 Days of Prayer that you'll become a seer. And maybe you're already a seer that God would dial in his prescription for you. See, the c i Company, they were all about making an entire world accessible to people who are blind. Timber Creek, we're all about your God-given potential. That's our mission. And part of that God-given potential is that all of us would make Jesus accessible to people who are blind. We're about ready to step in the rest of August, September, October at the movies is coming. I'm gonna start a series of messages that are gonna be very relevant to everybody. This is a great time to invite people. Invite your unchurched friends. Maybe they've been churched, but they're kinda out of church, out of the habit of being a part of a community. Invite them, be an inviter. Let's fill these empty seats in the 1115 service. Why? So we can have a full service? No, so people can see what Jesus wants them to see. And maybe you're here today and all I've been said, the truth is in your own heart, you recognize you're kind of blind. That's okay. Jesus can make all things new. He gives sight to those that need it. At all of our locations, would you just close your eyes this morning? Bow your heads. There are two prayers right now. The first prayer is this, a key prayer. You're here and the truth is you're not following Jesus. You've been chasing a lot of things, but you recognize it and you wanna step back and you wanna begin to follow the assignment that Jesus has for you. You know, you may not know, but here's the truth. That requires you surrendering your heart to him. That means the integration of your emotions and your thoughts and your decisions, that you, would, that you would surrender those things to him and he would become your guide and your Lord and your savior. And if that's you for the first time or maybe the first time in a while, it's time to calibrate or recalibrate. You'd invite Jesus to be your guide today and your savior. If that's you without a hesitation, just put a hand up in the air and then you can put it down. That's me, I need to follow Jesus today. Thank you. Anybody else, just put it up, yeah, thanks. Thank you, sir, thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Here, there in Nacogdoches, Jesus sees you. We see you. The best thing we can give you is Jesus. The second best thing we can give you is ourselves. And we just want you to know you're loved here. Can I pray with you? Father, thank you for those that put a hand up. And if you put a hand up, maybe in your own words, you'd simply say, Jesus, thank you for not being mad at me, but thank you for making this opportunity for me to make things right with you. I wanna follow you today. Help me take next steps, in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bow and eye closed, you know that you're not quite chasing after the vision that God has, but you wanna see what God sees and you wanna be a seer for not only your family, but for others. And you wanna, have, you wanna take on that challenge. I wanna pray over you. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? I wanna be a seer for this world. Yeah, yeah, me too. I want this church full of seers. Not just knowers, but seers and doers. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray that they would be seers in their home, seers in their schools seers in their families, seers with their spouse, seers in the situations of life that they don't quite see what's going on, but you do. And so they lock in to what you have for them. May they see what you see. May they rely on your strength and your power. May they be the light of the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.